You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Wonderful. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And while you're turning there, I want to just thank you for being here. And mothers, again, remind you of how important you are to us. In many ways, uh, we we can think of much of what we have sang and worshipped this morning and, and, and thank God for mothers as well. They have many times uh, been the Holy Spirit in our homes and remind us of so many of the things that Jesus is to us. If you need a worship guide, would you raise your hand in this auditorium? And these gentlemen, our ushers, will make sure to get you one. And while you are turning to Matthew 18, receiving a worship guide, let me give a few words of introduction because... We are bringing to a close a sermon series that we've been in for now five weeks. And we've been talking about our congregational DNA. And, you know, our church has now uh, approaching 26 years. And right here in the heart of Hot Springs, beginning with a small storefront building and then a, a larger building and then a move to this campus and all right here in the hood, if you will, right right in the center of Hot Springs. It's been a great journey, and the Lord has, has done some amazing things. Some of what we have learned is, is not uh, that the past is all bad or we, we, you know, boy, we sure have finally arrived or we're getting there. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that you, you grow, and even as a pastor, as a church family, we grow in grace. We come to find out that maybe some of the things we were doing was because of a college we attended or because of what man said, just like our children finally have to grow up and embrace not just the faith of their parents, but they have to embrace a relationship with Jesus Christ. It has to become their own. And as a pastor, I think as a leader of a church and as other leaders in our church have grown, we have come to know some things and find some things that, uh, that, that were not adequately really describing what we were and who we were. And so I, I feel that This is a really good moment in church history for Gospel Light. Moving into the summer months where we will continue to realize how important the local church is to a congregation, to a community. And yet we've been focusing on what does it mean, what does it mean, what is the atmosphere of a biblical church? And is that who we are Becoming Is that who we are as a church? We've not so much focused on you or on me. We've taken five weeks to discuss us. And we have, we have, we have decided that a congregation is not necessarily primarily to fight the world. We are not a congregation that is to protest government. Uh, there is such a thing as contending for the faith, right? And I'm for that. And I want you to know we should contend for the faith. But this series has been a refocusing of what we are called to do as a church family. And I hope I'm speaking for all of us. But I know I'm speaking for me in my house. God's been humbling us. God has been working in us. God has been refining us. And that's what this series has been about. Refocusing on what we are called to be. The first thing that we learned as a church family is Gospelite's DNA is that we welcome without judgment. 
And, and this has become almost a, 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 a greater revelation to us. I mean, for some, this may have become just easy. But for us as a church family, it, it's taken a while to get to this place where we can now, with great freedom and with great grace and with, with biblical truth, we can embrace this and understand this, that this is the, the pattern that Jesus gave us in the New Testament. We see how he welcomed without judgment. We looked at that sinful woman in the story as she came into the Pharisee's house and began, began to love Jesus and cry over Jesus and embrace Jesus and how she was judged for that, but Jesus did not judge her. And over and over again, we see that in Scripture. We want to be that kind of church. Secondly, we said the Gospelites' DNA is a, is a church that loves without condition. We found that the first John chapter 3 really uh, rivals 1 Corinthians 13 when it comes to love. And learning to love without condition is, is, is a very important truth in Scripture when it comes to being the church that God has called us to be. Thirdly, we heard Brother Butch talk about Gospelite's DNA needs to be that our congregation and our services would be spirit-filled. We want to be a spirit-led church. And oftentimes we struggle with fighting the flesh and, and, and doing things that, that are not pleasing to God. And, and, and we, we just need to realize that if we are truly born again, that the Spirit of God lives in us. I mean, literally there is dynamite within every Christian in this building to do powerful things for God as we're led by the Spirit. It's just a, an incredible truth. And when we learn this truth, we begin to discover that, man, listen, I, I can... I can resist the devil and I can live for God and I can do the things that God's called me to do because of the spirit of God that lives within me. Last week, Scott talked about that our DNA is to evangelize the world. Wow, what a truth. And how important it is for us to realize that if we're not sowing the seeds of the gospel in our community, that people are not going to come to Christ. We have a responsibility to sow seed. In fact, this week I was preaching a revival in North Carolina and the pastor had gotten up and talked about it, and everybody, would you invite somebody? That was a congregation of about 400 in Newburgh, North Carolina. And I noticed on Monday night there were no visitors, and on Tuesday night there were no visitors. And I just mentioned to the church that we need to sow some seed. I, I was having a hard time believing that 400 people were sowing seed and nobody was coming. Wednesday we were out, my, my daughter and I, they gave us a car. And they said, hey, you guys just go shopping. They had a funeral on Wednesday of a 13-year-old girl that died in an ATV accident. Special needs child. Tragedy. The pastor was preaching the funeral, and so we, we took some time to, to just be together. And so Chloe and I went Mother's Day shopping. That's when we got all the cards for our, our mom and daughter-in-laws and stepmom for me and all the rest of it. And we had a great time shopping. We got to the sports authority or whatever it's called there, the some sports store. We were buying something for Zoe or something. And I looked at Chloe. I said, Let, let's sow some seed. Chloe was standing there at the register said, this is my daddy. He's a pretty good preacher. He's preaching tonight. You might want to come hear him. I said, well, thank you, sweetheart. I said, I don't know if I'm a good preacher, but I am preaching tonight, and it would be cool if you came. And she said, really? We said, well, yeah, we, we really, it, we, we'd love for you to come. She said, where's it at? And we told her where it was at, and she said, well, thank you. And we, we walked off, and we didn't think another thing about it. I was preaching Wednesday night, the closing message in the, of, the, of the story, of the, of the revival, rather. And I just randomly, no joke, church, randomly, I just was talking about 
reminding them to sow seed. I, I told him, I said, we sowed a little seed today. I said, in fact, let me just see. Is, is, the, is the lady from the sports authority here? She raised her hand, and her husband raised her hand, and their children raised their hand. And I said, thank you for coming. And I told the church, you know, it's amazing. We sowed one seed, and they came. And I wonder what would have happened if we sowed ten. We might have just had one, but I can guarantee if you don't sow any, you'll have none. Sowing seed is something that we need to do in our community every week. And I don't think you could have enough pews to seat the people if everybody in this building sowed five seeds a week. Okay, I'll give you a break. If five's too many, let's go four. How about four? If four bothers you, let's do three. Just three. Just three invitations a week. Just three kind words and invitations. Okay, two. And if you could argue me down to one, you'd have to say that surely all of us can sow some seed, one seed a week the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, today, we come to the most important one. You say, wait a minute, more important than love, more important than welcoming without judgment. I don't believe any of these are possible without this one, and that is that gospelite's DNA is that we forgive without limit. Because without this one, you're going to see in this message, none of the others are possible. It is not possible to welcome without judgment and love without condition and, and, and to be spirit-led, and, and to evangelize the world unless we understand what the Scripture teach us about forgiving one another, forgiving others. The genuineness, the genuineness of our Christianity is on display at the highest level when we choose, and forgiveness is a choice. Do not convince yourself of any anything else. It's a choice when we choose to forgive again and again and again, then our Christianity will be displayed at the highest level. Jesus mandates forgiveness. There is not a sermon that Jesus preaches where he doesn't speak about our responsibility to forgive others. We begin in the Lord's prayer. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, where Jesus said, forgive us our debts. Some translations would use trespasses. But forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What exactly does that mean? I mean, if you think about it for just a moment, read it closely, meditate on it. Forgive us our debts as we. In other words, does it mean that as I am forgiving someone else, God, at that same moment, you are forgiving me of my sins. I'm forgiving others. You're forgiving me. Does it mean as we, to the degree that we forgive? In other words, if I forgive, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you 50%, then God forgives us 50%. Is that how it works? Is it to the degree that I forgive, that's the degree that God forgives me? Well, I, I, I don't know that I, I can nail it exactly, but I do know this, that it is obvious that these two things are tied very closely together. There is a tie here. There is a connection between my forgiveness and between God's forgiveness. What exactly does this mean? It means I should forgive the way that God forgives me. Again, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So again, as as you forgive others, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. And just in case that wasn't clear, 
let's reverse it in the very next verse. The next verse says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. In both verses, you would think it'd be first God, then us, but in both verses, it's first us, then God. You forgive, then, then God forgives. Every habitually unforgiving person remains unforgiven by God. It is not a citizen of heaven. This is serious business. This is so important. Now, I'm sure at times you've struggled with forgiveness. I'm really not talking about that. Someone here that struggles, man, I, I struggle with it, preacher. I need this. I struggle with it. Then that's not what I'm talking about when I say you're not a citizen of heaven. If this is something you would say, man, I... I, 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 I work at it. I struggle with it. Sometimes I'm good at it. Other times I have to work at it and ask God to help me. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But someone who says, rather, I will not forgive. I, I'm settled on this. I, it's a pattern of unforgiveness in your life. And please, please, please listen. Mark 11 verse 25 says on the screen, and whenever you stand praying, I wonder how many times we stand praying. Well, I know this. When we come to church, we do a lot. I know today around our table, we will all stand and hold hands around our table. We've got enough people every Sunday to do this. We go all the way around the table and we are standing and we are praying. So when you do that, forgive. When you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, can you imagine if in a church, whenever we stood praying, somebody just ran over to forgive some. Hold up. I want to make sure I get this right. Run over to a brother or sister that we haven't forgiven, haven't gotten things right with. When you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So that your heavenly father, do that so that your heavenly father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. This is an urgent matter. I'm thinking here that it's teaching eternity is hanging in the balance. Remember this, you are not saved by forgiving. Saved people forgive. Every time. You're not saved by forgiving. This is what we do. We forgive. It's kind of, it's our DNA. I mean, gospelites known for this, right? I mean, people know this is a place where you're forgiven, where we don't harbor bitterness, we're not, we're not angry, we're, we're, not, we're not frustrated with one another constantly. We're, there's not hatred in our hearts towards anyone. We, we forgive without limit. This is who we are. We're the church of a living God who's forgiven us. And so we forgive others even when it's hard. Even when it's hurtful. More scripture? I thought you'd ask. So Luke 6.37 says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. This is like in every one of Jesus' sermons. I mean, can you imagine if, if every Sunday I said, at least one thing the same every Sunday. You would tell your guest, I'll tell you one thing about preacher. He will say this every Sunday. He'll say this. You'll hear it. Hopefully it's, for many of us, it might be that 
that, that you've heard I love you every Sunday from my lips. I, I try to do that. I, I would like for everyone to know that I do love them. But, but Jesus, every single sermon in the New Testament, you find this about forgiveness. Luke 17, verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. No limit. Wow. This is big time stuff. Well, why haven't you preached on this more, preacher? I know. I'm thinking the same thing. But Matthew 18 is our text. And here in this text, we find a passage on resolving personal offenses. It's amazing. I mean, this right here is very important. In fact, in our church charter, our covenant, uh, rather, we have uh, a, a very important emphasis placed on Matthew 18 for resolving personal church conflict. Uh, look at it, if you would, please. It's an amazing passage. Jesus tells this story. He says, if your brother sins against you. How many of you think it's more like when your brother sins against you? Amen. It's going to happen. But if your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you and you've gained your brother, but he doesn't listen to you, then you go get a couple of others and you go back to him and try to resolve the issue. And I have found that probably 999 times out of a thousand, all it takes is just going to your brother. That's just my experience is if I go to my brother and I usually work it out. I mean, two Christians getting together can resolve just about anything. It's just getting together and making it happen and taking the time and going to a brother and saying, man, I'm sorry. I just, I've offended you or you've offended me or whatever. Just getting it worked out. But if that doesn't work, that one time it doesn't, man, what a backup plan. Probably 999,999 times out of a million, this works. Go get somebody else. And, and, and usually that works it out. There will be rare instances. In 26 years of our church history, maybe twice, we actually had to bring it before the church. More of a public sin requiring public confession. But it is rare. And so Jesus teaches this here. And it's almost as if Peter, if you notice in verse number 21, it's almost as if Peter, he, he just can't, he's still hung up on the forgiving thing. And so he's like, dude, if my brother offends me, if my brother sins against me, He can't get past that. So Peter is troubled by that statement. If my brother sins against me. And so he's confused about this. He's concerned about it. And so Peter says in verse 21, Lord, how often does my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? Seven times? Seven times, Lord, huh? Old Testament says, what? None. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, buddy. New Testament Pharisees said three times. Strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. So Peter says, hmm, I'm going to double it and add one. This is going to be impressive to Jesus. How many times should I have to forgive my brother, Jesus? Seven? I guess Peter expected Jesus to say, whoa, you should be teaching on forgiveness, Peter. You are the man. I didn't realize you had such a a grasp on this. Amazing, Peter. Seven times. Wow. You're quite the Christian. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, I do not say to you seven, Peter, but rather 70 times seven. 
I'm not much of a master petition, but I think that's 490. And I don't think Jesus means on 491, you just, finally we got there. We're, we're at the spot. It took a while. I think the scripture is teaching there is no end. There is no limit. And then Jesus says, and I love Jesus so much. He's so cool. He's the coolest cat ever born. <laughs> Only one ever born of a virgin, amen. But Jesus tells a story. I love to tell stories when I preach. Stories illustrate the truth. So Jesus says, hey, Pete, let me tell you a story. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. Now, now, what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is how things are done in heaven, which, by the way, is absolutely perfect. In fact, that's why we often talk about the kingdom of heaven being done on earth, because if we can get what's being done in heaven on earth, that's going to be a vast improvement. Amen? So let me tell you, Jesus says, how it's done in the kingdom of heaven. He says, so in the kingdom of heaven, it can compare to a king. Who's the king? The king in the story is God. It's the Lord. It's Jesus. It's the master. King Jesus. So the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. How much is that? Well... I looked it up. Here it is. Some authorities say that the talent typically weighed about 33 kilograms or 75 pounds, varying from 20 to 40 kilograms. In February of 2016, the international price of gold was about U.S. about 1190 per troy ounce. One gram cost about $38. At this price, a talent would be approximately one talent would be approximately 1.25 million 10,000 so I did I said okay one oh good I said I went to my calculator 1.25 million times 10,000 and it blew up <laughs> it gave me something with like an e in it or something I was like whoa what is that I couldn't figure it out I was like man that's a lot and so obviously, would you agree with me, this is an unpayable amount. How many of you can pay 1.25 million times 10,000 in a lifetime? Anybody? Okay, good. I didn't think so. So it's an unpayable amount that he owes. He owes him 10,000 now. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. And his wife and his children to pay the debt. That would have been Old Testament practice. Remember the... The widow in Elisha, and she was all upset because her husband had died and the creditors were coming to take her two children to pay the debt that the husband had left behind. This would have been a practice in the Old Testament. It wouldn't have been strange. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. All right, let's count the words. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Ten words. Don't forget those words. Those words are coming back to us in this story. And out of pity for him, the master, the king of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Remember what we talked about. Forgiveness. Actually, I didn't do that, did I, Ken? Let's put it up there now. Forgiveness. The definition of forgiveness. I didn't put it. Let me put it. This is a good spot for it. The decision to release a person from an obligation that injured, or rather that resulted when they injured you. 
So that's our definition of forgiveness. This is, it's letting it go. It's moving on. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to release you of the obligation that, that resulted when you hurt me, when you injured me. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive you. Well, that's what happened here. He, he let it go. It's understanding that God has forgiven me of so much that I'm releasing you from that obligation. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. How much is a hundred denarii compared to 10,000 talents? Well, a hundred denarii is this. One denarii is a day's wages. So a hundred would be about three months wages. Everybody agree with that math? Okay, so three months wages versus an unpayable amount. All right, let's see what happens here. And seizing him. I mean, this is like the difference of owing an unpayable amount in a Starbucks card. He seizes him and he begins to choke him. The dude was just forgiven of an unpayable amount. Now he is attacking someone who owes him a small amount. Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Remember those words he said to the master? Remember that? Ten words? Listen to this. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Here here it is again. Here's the sermon. Here it is again, again. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. I've come to this conclusion. We need a PhD in this truth. I've come to this conclusion that we need to be really good at this. That forgiveness needs to be something that God's people are just like, we are just good at it. We, we are skilled at this. This is something we embrace. We want to be good at it. We want to know more how we can forgive with no limit. We want to get over the struggles that we face at times and press through and forgive our spouse and forgive that child, that employer, that employee, that pastor, that staff member, whatever it is, let's push through because this is necessary if we're going to do everything else. And so as I read through this passage, I I understood there were some principles we needed to learn, and I want to share four principles with you and be done in just a few moments. So don't miss these principles. Principles is where we begin to apply Scripture to the truth and and begin to come up with some, some solutions. So here it is, and they're all right here in the text. First of all, the first thing I want you to see here is that Peter wanted to know if there was any way around this. Did you see that in verse 21? Peter was trying to find... Okay, God, wait. Is there any crime I don't have to forgive? Is there anybody I don't have to forgive? Does there come a point when I can finally say enough is enough? Is there a person I don't have to forgive? Is there a time frame? Peter is stretching. Number one, get this. Number one, because the rationalizations are so foolish. We need to learn to forgive because all of our rationalizations, like Peter's, are just foolish. Every single one of them. 
We have a precious lady in our church, and I don't think she's here this morning. I think she came last week. Though. Is Miranda here by chance? Did Miranda make it? If you're praying for Miranda, we text often. This is a teddy bear. Is it cute, isn't it? Is it a cute teddy bear? Good, because today it's going to be a tumor. And I'm going to illustrate something. Miranda has a tumor probably about this size in her, in her chest. And praise God, Sharon, it's been shrinking. Amen? Isn't that good? And it's, not, it's even not affecting her heart at the time. And, and, and things are going well. And, but she has a tumor in her chest. And you can't see it like you can see this. But it's a large tumor. And we need to be praying for Miranda. But hopefully people call the prayer line, get the prayer emails. And you've been on your face before God for Miranda like we have. And God is moving. So here's a tumor. It's a pretty big one, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty obvious. And number one, here's a rationalization people use not to forgive. Are you ready for rationalization? Number one, it's too big. Well, if I had a tumor this big, I would think it would be more important to move it and get rid of it because it's too big. If it's small, you're like, maybe the doctor would say, and Sharon would know this. If it's really small, the doctor may say, let's take a, keep a look on it. You know, we like, let's look at overboard. We can, let's wait a month or two. We'll come back and take a look at it, see if it's grown. Fair. If it's small, very small. But if it's big, if it's huge, I would think it'd be like, hey. And I know Miranda was like this. I'm ready now, tomorrow, today. And really, isn't that how God worked? It went so fast. Miracles took place. And Miranda was able to get treatment beyond imagination quickly, fast, because the tumor was so big. It is not rational to think that it's too big to forgive. The bigger, the more important to forgive. I can't forgive if I can't forget. Really. So I'm just supposed to forget this first. How can I? I mean, this is hard to forget. God is not even asking us to forget. He knows we have limited capacity to forget things, but he is asking us to forgive. I don't know the logic in, well, first I've got to forget this before I move it. Number three, time will heal it. Oh, that's a good one. Hey, Brother Eric, you've got to, you need to, you need to get that checked out. It's not looking too good. Oh, we got time. It took five years to get here, five more years. Who knows what will happen with this thing? It'll, it'll go. Just give it time. That's crazy, preacher. You're nuts. Exactly. Rationalization number three. I'll forgive when they say they're sorry. I, I, really? So as long as, as, as they say they're sorry, then you'll forgive. Rationalization number four, I can't forgive because they'll just do it again. Wow. So, so Jesus, just how many times do I have to forgive? Let me get this. How many times? What about this sin? Would this be one that I don't have to? What about, and, and Peter's trying to get out of this. He, he, he wants out of this incredible truth that Jesus has been teaching. Number two, because failure to forgive is so destructive. Look at what this man is doing. He is forgiven of a lifetime of debt, many lifetimes of debt. And then scripture says in verse 16, he goes to choke this man and nearly kill him 
over just a small amount of debt. It's so destructive. It's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness is destroying the container which it is in. You see, forgiveness is a survivor skill. It's necessary to know how to forgive if you're going to actually even make it in life. The truth of the matter is, is as I get older, I realize even more how important it is for me to be a good forgiver. Just, just, just to smile every day. Have you ever met like somebody as they get older, they get grumpier, they get meaner. I mean, they just they they never smile. They're always angry. They're always frustrated. Well, listen, this is in your notes. But if you want to be old and angry, then disregard forgiveness. I don't want to be that. I do not want to be that. I tell you what I want to be. I, I want to. I know I'm going to get old, but I want to be sweet and joyful, so I'm going to push through and forgive. I mean, listen. Hey, I'm not getting any younger, and I'm getting closer and closer to the day that I probably won't be pastoring this church, and somebody younger can can take this thing. I'll go teach in the college, and I've decided that Ken and I are going to be janitors together. Seriously, I can't wait. Ken knows how much I love to do janitorial work. I mean, he knows it. It's not a joke, right, Ken? I mean, I'm. I love to clean things. I love to throw things away. So that I, yesterday for three hours, I, I cleaned the first dorm floor. Uh, we don't have a big staff here, and, and we can't hire another janitor. It's fine. So I just jump in there, and when I get an open time, I get in there and clean, man. I love to clean. So I figured, Ken, when I'm 80, you're going to be 100. You'll still be cleaning. I'll be cleaning. It'll be a great sight to see a couple of old men walking across the parking lot, picking weeds. You know, it'd be great. And we're going to be happy, Ken. And when we're done, when the day is done, Ken leaves about 3. He comes in early, so he can leave about 3. One day I'll do that, Ken. I'll come in real early like you. Older people wake up early. Ken, we're going to drive off and go sit on the porch somewhere with a glass of iced tea. And we're just going to smile. And we're going to be forgivers. And we're going to be happy and sweet. Because I'm not going to hold bitterness in my heart, cancer in my, the cancer of unforgiveness, and, and grow old and grumpy and and and. and and, and put my wife through misery just because I'm an unforgiver. And you've got to live with me the rest of your life. And I'm just not going to forgive you. And I'm not going to do that. That's horrible. That's, that's not the Bible way. Forgiven people forgive. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. I may have skipped another note, Ken. Did I skip? Yeah, put that one up there. Every relationship in your life is on a trajectory towards forgiveness or exit. One reason why there is so much divorce is there's so much unforgiveness. Or why, one reason why there is so, so much uh, church hopping or people that, that just, their relationships just don't last. Friendships that don't last. Moms and dads and parents that don't last. Unforgiveness. Every relationship in your life is on a trajectory towards forgiveness or it's over. Every one of them. We got to get good at this because there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Every person in your home, every person you work with, every person in your church, you forgive or else you move on. One or the other. 
and the treasures of life are the relationships, Carol Ann. 20, 30 years of marriage in July. 30 years. And the treasures of life are the relationships that have been tested and built and endured because of mutual forgiveness. Oh, we don't have the perfect marriage. We're just really good forgivers. Really good. It works. Honestly, I, I, have, I have microscoped this thing of why pastors don't stay. I have, because I don't get it. I just don't get why guys go every two, the average is two and a half years, the national average. Folks, there's 400,000 churches in America. 400,000. And the average pastor stays two and a half years. I'm an anomaly. I'm a weirdo. I'm a pastor freak. This doesn't happen. What's wrong with me? Why am I still here? I'll tell you why. You forgive good, and I forgive good, and somehow it's worked. Otherwise, you'd have left and I'd have left. And some have left. And it's just unforgiveness. So we move on. And we never get the enduring relationship. That's where it gets good. The older we get, honey, the sweeter it gets because of forgiveness. This is such a great lesson. I I, I am no longer astounded by how much emphasis God puts on it in the Bible. It's just, this is so important. Any hope of one day sitting around on our porch, Ken, and just smiling as we get older, any hope of that is we got to be good forgivers. Number three, because God's forgiveness demands it. You know, we sing about it every Sunday. We say, great is your faithfulness. God's been faithful. And his forgiveness, his faithfulness demands you and I to forgive as he has forgiven us. Look at verse 33 in our text. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as as I had mercy on you? Should you not have done that? I mean, uh, Scott, you mentioned it a minute ago. When, When we see Christ on the cross, when we see what he has done for us, we are so overwhelmed by what? He has done for us God sending his only son to die for my sins. How could I not forgive? I won't forget your faithfulness. God's forgiveness demands it. So the Bible teaches people who really have it, give it. If you really have it, If you've been forgiven, the greatest proof of that is you forgive. People who say they have it and don't give it, don't really have it. That's just biblical. Let me make it practical. For instance, if you're sitting here this morning and who am I talking to? Am I talking to the person who's sitting here thinking, man, I can't wait till this service is over. I got to make a few phone calls. I got to get some things right. I, whew, it's Mother's Day. There's a little tension in the house. I need to forgive my spouse. I need to forgive my child. I need 
two thumbs up. That, that, that means the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And if you feel that way, that's a good thing. But then there might be that person who's like, you're crazy, bro. You think I'm going to forgive him? Ain't no way. Never. Then honestly, I hope you don't have a heart attack on the way home because according to Scripture, you are going to die and go to hell. If you have an attitude that you won't forgive God, you can like it or you can lump it, God. I'm not doing it. This is important. This is life or death. This is eternity. And then number four, because the alternative is terrifying. Look at what the master says in verse 34. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this is our DNA. Welcome to a church that forgives. Welcome to a church family that takes forgiveness to a whole new level of grace and mercy to one another. And may we be the kind of church that learns to forgive with no limit. Because we have a God who's forgiven us of so much. Wow. I want to get this. I want a PhD in this. You can have my doctorate. You can have my master's. I don't have an earned doctorate. Don't worry. I just have an honorary. You can have both my master's degrees. You can have everything I've got hanging on the wall. I want a PhD in this. I want to be a good forgiver. Because that's more important in the kingdom of heaven than any degree you could ever earn on earth. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed as our worshipers come and as we lead you tonight or today in a response time, I'm really asking God to not leave us this morning or to not allow us to leave this place this morning without having addressed this issue in our hearts. Have we truly been forgiven of our sins? And if we've not, then I encourage you this morning to make that decision. This morning, come to Jesus. Get it taken care of. That bitterness, that anger, that frustration in your heart can only be healed by the master forgiver, Jesus. And so in a moment, if you are in the auditorium and you have not been born again, saved, you don't know Jesus, I invite you to come and we're here to talk. We're here to share some scripture and pray and even take some time this week if we need to. Maybe there's someone else here today. That's not the issue. The issue is you've been struggling with unforgiveness. And you're here this morning and you want to get that taken care of. I encourage you to come and spend a moment at this altar and just search your heart, examine your heart, and respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. Don't leave this building without getting some healing for that hurt. Father, I love you and I thank you, God, for this service and for what you are doing and what you've done in this series. God, I pray that you take the truth of the Word of God. I pray, God, that you would ingrain it, penetrate, prick our hearts, teach us this morning this truth in a way that we've never experienced it before. God, your faithfulness, your forgiveness has been so great. God, may we this morning extend that same to others. God, I pray that you do it in Jesus' name. Amen.